Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. On this week's Tampering Podcast, we talk all things NBA bubble life as we say goodbye to this weird world where we spent so much time. We talk Lakers and their 17th championship, all things LeBron James, what he achieved, who he is, with Michael Rosenberg from Sports Illustrated, Dan Wilkie from the LA Times, and Jared Greenberg from NBA TV and TNT. Fantastic conversation. I went through this with these guys, really enjoyed talking to them about their takeaways, the highs, the lows, and the reality that if you weren't here, you truly could not understand what this was like to be a part of, to cover in person. One quick disclaimer on the audio front. This is a travel podcast. Guys, we're going to airports. Guys, we're in cars. So there's a few issues on the audio front. Bear with us. I promise you it's worth it. Really, really good stuff. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Tampering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket right science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA writer at The Athletic here as always. This is your bubble finale podcast. Um, so I got to paint the picture here real quick. I'm sitting in my hotel room. It's it's feeling more and more lonely, even more so than before but by the minute because I'm one of the last people to leave the bubble based on my flight time. I am joined on the line with two good friends and colleagues and two people who I live this bubble life with Dan Wicke of the LA Times, Michael Rosenberg of Sports Illustrated. Daniel, we will start with you because I have my video on and you have a mask on and you are in an airport and you are in the regular world. Uh, give us the, the the immediate feelings. We have been in, in this bubble for a long time. You're on the outside. How are you? Sam, good question. Um, I am terrified. I'm so scared. And also like really oddly hungry like every fast food stand i've seen sam i um oh man it's hard not to get an auntie Anne's pretzel a chipotle bowl you know maybe a double cheeseburger from the airport mcdonald's like it all <laughs> looks so good um it's weird it, it's really really weird like i do feel like um like a baby bird released from the nest for the first <laughs> time and uh it's it's strange. It's a scary world, Sam. Um, never leave. Never leave your room. I would just live there. Bring your family to Orlando. Never leave. You are in the <laughs> only place that is safe. It's not going to be safe for long. Um, should I should share how this podcast came together. And yes, we will get into the NBA Finals. The Lakers pulled this thing off. 17th championship. The Heat give it a good go. Six game series. Uh, I told producer Andrew before we got on, because of the the intense nature of the bubble life, it's going to get hard. It's going to be a little hard to to get to the basketball talk, because I do think that this is a once in a lifetime experience that we all went through together. And, and now that it's over, you have this culture shock that we're kind of living in real time. Um, but also these guests came on, we have a pickleball you group text, which is basically like the bat signal for anybody who wanted to play pickleball during the bubble time. We would just ping that line and say, who's available. 
And that's how some of these games with the referee crew would come together. Um, so I so I ping the group text pickleball line, knowing that everybody's days are crazy today and just say, I need bubble gas. And, and sure enough, Dan and Michael were nice enough to join me. Uh, Michael, give us the, the scene on your side. How close are you to Dan and, and how does it feel to be on the outside? So, you know, obviously the NBA had its protocols and we all wore masks, certainly in the arenas and everywhere. But let's face it, when we're around each other and you're only around people who have been getting tested every day for a month and they're all negative, you know, you let your guard down. And I don't think it was unsafe. I think it was kind of normal, but I kind of left the bubble and got to the airport and I was like, oh my God, right. everybody here is trying to kill me, you know? Right. So I'm, uh, that was a bit loud since I'm still in the airport and they're looking at me funny. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, it is a little different. I have to recalibrate my brain for sure. I remember when Michael first got to the bubble, we're going to have some memories. So whatever comes to mind, you guys interrupt, jump in and share your memories. But well, Michael, you and I, like we worked together at SI, but it was very different spaces and it wasn't intermixed all that much. And so honestly, it was a joy to get to know you better than before. And and I feel like I it was a different time when you first show up to the bubble and you are not part of what I would call, quote unquote, NBA media. You cover everything and you're fantastic at what you do. So you come in here with a fresh set of eyes on the second half of the bubble, I think about a week after I came in. Uh, and what would Sam, be. I had never heard of him before. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael comes in. I'm going to share the can I Michael, can I share the fun story about your first day on the job and, and what happened? Is that out of bounds? Okay. Uh, oh, then now well, it was out of bounds, but now it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So so Michael gets there and like everybody else, the culture shock you're going through on the outside now is what you experience when you get on the inside for the first time. And we are walking. Uh, around the two arenas where the games were played and there's barricades everywhere and there's signs telling you where to go, where not to go. And, and it's very serious in terms of if you walk the wrong direction, if you go out of bounds, so to speak, as a tier one person inside the bubble, you very well might have a security guard tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you made a mistake here and now you have to go quarantine for seven more days. This is pretty heavy stuff. And Michael uh, was making his way up to the arena. We look up. And Michael has gone the wrong way. <laughs> Michael is walking in the yellow zone, which is tier two, which is not allowed. And my heart drops because I don't want anybody ha to have to do more quarantine. And I, I, I put my arms in the air to like signal towards you. At which point, Jeff, friend and colleague, kind of elbows me in the hip. And was like, dude, calm down. Keep it cool. Keep it cool. Because we didn't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> and, and I just was terrified because you were trying to find your way. Thankfully, you didn't come into any close contact with tier two people. But this stuff was wild. You made your way back. Uh, all's well that ends well. Uh, this, this I don't even know where to start, guys. This experience was once in a lifetime for me, professionally, on a personal level, certainly uh, something I'm never going to forget. I'm glad I did it. Um, you know, we do need to talk a little bit of hoops. Let, let's start with last night. Yeah, I got a place to start. Um, Go ahead, buddy. Dude, they, they finished the season, Sam. Yeah. Let's just like, I mean, like, it's funny because that doesn't feel like a big deal. Like having been here and seen this for three months, um, that's a monumental deal. Right. Um, when, when you think about what's happening in the NFL, think about what happened in baseball in terms of outbreaks and stuff like that. Like the NBA finished their season they crowned a champion and it all felt fairly legitimate like the team that was the probably the best team during the regular season won the nba championship and they did so in a 
competitive NBA finals. Like at a base level, like what more could the league have asked for? Yeah, it it really was as good of an operation. And and I don't want to sound like I'm carrying the NBA's bags here, but like, I mean, what nothing ultimately really even went that wrong. I mean, yeah, there was the, the sort of the wildcat strike and, and that was sort of born out of obviously what happened in the world, but also I think born out of exhaustion. Um, but the NBA had to walk this line here where like they simultaneously, I think everybody here um, knows that the NBA was in this bubble for too long, ultimately, right? right. Like it was hard on, on people to pull them away from their families. Obviously, we hear what Michael Malone said. LeBron called it the hardest thing he's ever been through professionally. Like all that stuff is true. Um, but they also, at the same time, like put these people through the ringer, playing every other day, um, especially in the playoffs. Like the intensity as high as it was, because they had to create all of it. I, I just think like the fact that we crossed the finish line is, um, and, and like, and we did so in sort of the order we mostly expected, is like a remarkable accomplishment. It is, and I mean, you're talking zero positive tests for the players. The one thing that that uh, that history won't necessarily remember is that I, I do think there were uh, plenty of scary moments behind the scenes that had the league concerned early on. I wrote a little bit of this last night. You know, the NBA and the union had to negotiate all the terms of kind of entry in the beginning when it comes to the players in the bubble. And the league was nervous because players, while they were doing things like testing and self quarantining in their, you know, back in their markets, they did not quarantine as long when they got here as the rest of us. And that worried the league. They, the first round of negative tests that they got, there was a huge sigh of relief. And you go from that to the end where Adam Silver shows up with a couple of weeks left in this process. And as you guys know, the restrictions and the protocols got a little tighter near the end because you could sense that the league knew that in a, in a way it's, I'm not trying to say they got lucky. There's just, there's luck involved in everything. They're lucky that there wasn't an outbreak and they knew that near the end, they, they were just trying to get this thing over the finish line. And, and Michael, yeah, Michael, you go, you take it. You had hit on this earlier. I remember you saying it early, you were skeptical. You sat in the media room where we would eat all, all of our meals. And I remember you sitting there going, ah, I don't know. I don't know if they can finish this. You know, you were just kind of looking around and, and having some of your concerns. Oddly, that's the only prediction I've ever gotten wrong as a sports writer. <laughs> no, I didn't predict they wouldn't, of course, but I did say that because you didn't know. And, and look, let's be honest, we're not naive. There were a lot of people in the bubble, and we are going to hear stories, whether it's a week from now, a year from now, or 10 years from now, about some protocol violations by players that were, went undetected, that they got away with, right? some point, or somebody did that. <laughs> or media member. Exactly. So, so you can't totally like i'm sure that happened and, and the league did get lucky in that sense but i will also say and, and you mentioned I, I was probably just about the only media member here who doesn't cover basketball most of the time i think right 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 so um w- which gives me i think uh I, i'm kind of starting 20 points down <laughs> in sure. some ways but also a little bit different perspective and and i can say one reason the nba pulled this off they approached this humbly they were scared of the virus they respected it completely and I've dealt with the NFL people and the baseball people on this stuff. And the NFL people were extremely, extremely confident that they knew what they were doing. And anybody who questioned them didn't really understand their protocols. Well, I said, okay, we'll see. You know, I mean, I hope you're right. And obviously we're sitting here now and they've had a lot of problems. And, you know, baseball was, was not quite as confident, but, 
but they were they, they didn't quite respect the virus i think when they started up in, in in the way that the nba did and and that's a big part of this i mean the way adam silver conducts himself the way he talks to us the way he treats everything i think it came through with how they how they constructed this bubble and why it worked no absolutely and and i'm it's weird we're not normally like you alluded to this earlier dan you know, we're not carrying the league's bags or their water. Uh, we we are we have a partnership element when you know, with them when it comes to covering their league. Um, this was the most embedded I've ever been with the NBA. I've done trips to China with the league. I've done trips to India. This was different. And and, and there's always an element of like when I did the India trip, I, I went on the team plane with the Kings, and and that made me mildly uncomfortable because it's just not normally how we do things. And we paid for that flight, and and it was on the up and up. But it's this was different. This was. All of us put your entire personal life on hold, uh, make the sacrifice where, listen, I kind of would get annoyed when folks would would not make the distinction between players. And yes, they made a great sacrifice because life is life and family's family. But, you know, those players had a ton of money on the line to come out here and do this. You know, those of us who chose to come in as media, for the most part, this was a choice professionally to take part in something that was historic. Uh, without the ripple effect necessarily on your employment or your bottom line. This was a choice to be here. And next thing you know, the NBA is in control of every single part of our life, and we have to play by their rules. And if you don't, if you do go out of bounds and make a mistake, then next thing you know, you might get bounced from the bubble. Um, were, you talk- guys, were you guys in Dwight Howard's postgame last night? Was anybody in there? I was, yeah, when he, uh, when he was wearing his underwear and, and uh, smoking something uh, very mysterious and smelly. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say there's a ton of mystery, but yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think, no, like, I mean, Dwight at the end seemed to like, and who knows if he was just full of it or whatever, but like, he kind of looked at everybody in the room and was like, sort of like, you guys did this too. Right. There was like a moment of sort of realization. And I, I, I would say if I had any like overall complaint, and I understand that there was like an element of like, if the media was going to be there, we had to be like pretty separate from the players. Um, I do think like there was, and the people that I've dealt with there, whether it was officials, league people, other reporters, there was like this sort of shared experience that I thought, like you were touching on this, Sam, that like we all gave up a ton of stuff and risked a lot of things to be here. And, and going through that with a group of people, like, I don't know, man, is this going to be, I feel like, is this a bond we're going to carry forever? Is that, is. is that overstating it? No, and it, I'll be corny. I'll be the guy to jump on that. It is, man. You, if you weren't here, you're not ever going to know, uh, you know, Jared Greenberg, who from NBA TV and Turner, who hopefully jumps on and, and crashes this party here in a minute. He's traveling to the airport. You know, Jared and I talked about the other night uh, over, you know, copious bottles of wine about how he wants to do a reunion one day. And we're sitting there talking about, you know, whose house is it going to be at? And, and by the way, we've nominated Steve Smith because he has the, the he's he's. We, we actually were talking about square footage of homes. That was fun to, to, you know, I feel pretty good about my house. And then I talked to Steve and now I feel like I, I live in a shanty. But like, you know, they're, they're in talk of a reunion, the pictures last night, even with the league, uh, you know, setting that up with all the media on the court. Um, even last night, listen, no one's going to be surprised to hear this. We, we certainly burned the midnight oil after the game last night. We wrote stories until about three, you know, two, three in the morning. And then you go out. By the pool and its referees and its staff members and its media members. Uh, this is not your normal post-finals party. This is not your normal environment. We're never going to see this again. I mean, Michael, for you, you said earlier, you cover everything. Um, how much thought and deliberation for you went into, A, making this choice to be here? And then on the back end, I mean, are you, are you glad you did it? 
yeah, well, you know, on the front end, when they, when, when the editors asked me, I mean, I, I was not volunteering to spend six weeks away from my wife and kids, you know, right. that's not something I normally do. And, um, but I thought about it and honestly, I just, I want to work. And I just felt like, well, that's six weeks of guaranteed being able to work. Right. And at the time I made that decision, it was not clear that there was going to be a football season. It was not clear that there was going to be a baseball season to finish. So, you know, I felt like it was, it was, it was a chance to work, you know, and, um, I, I am glad I did it. It was, it was certainly an experience I'll take, take with me. And I really felt like, no, look, it's not getting was sick. It's, I mean, there's not, it was not a real hardship. I think we all understand that, but you know, you're in a hotel room for six weeks and you can't leave this campus and you're, you're always conscious of the fact that you can't leave it. And, um, I, I, I thought we all really made the best of this that we could, you know, we made it the best bubble experience that we could. And, and that's kind of fun. You know, sometimes you learn something about yourself and about people and just kind of how you, how you deal with a situation that you know is not awful, but it's also not how you would draw it up. And, and I right. thought that was kind of fun. Right. Got NBA TV, Turner star, Jared Greenberg, who I, I got to give Jared props before I bring him in. This poor guy, I kept giving him second class treatment and inviting him on the podcast the last couple of weeks. And then it was, oh, Jared, I'm sorry. We got Jeannie Buss on the pod. Oh, I'm sorry. We got Michelle Roberts on the pod. And you were you were a high road guy about it and, and humble enough to come on with this little uh, exit bubble crash party here. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing great. Just finally got in my car after getting all packed up and headed out of here, headed out of the bubble. So to set the stage, Jared, these guys were talking about all of it, but mainly just the bubble life. I just mentioned conversations you and I had about how nobody who didn't, you know, so anybody who didn't do this is never going to really truly understand what it was like. We've, you and I have talked about, hey, let's do a reunion down the road. And, and it is something where there was a connection between media members, players, coaches, staff, all of the above. Um, we were kind of doing story time, just top of, line, uh, top of mind, stream of consciousness, what, you know, what stories come to mind for you as far as just things that you, because of the unique environment, things you never could have imagined happening that happened out here? The moment that, that stands out to me above all else, um, I mean, there's a lot of things, but, but this one particular moment stood out to me just because I don't know, like this, hopefully this never happens again as a whole, but this specific moment, I don't know if this will ever happen again. It was the night of the, the work stoppage um, after Milwaukee had had you know decided not to play, and then they they um, postponed the other two games. I was getting ready to work. Um, it was a Laker game. I can't remember who they were playing, but I know I was getting ready to do Lakers that night. And I was getting dressed to leave to leave my room at at where we were to head over on the bus. And you know, got word that the Milwaukee game was postponed, and most most likely we all felt like the other games were going to get postponed. So I. I wasn't going to be working. So uh, TNT asked me to just kind of hang out over by our hotel just to kind of see what was going on there because we had enough boots on the ground over at the arenas already. Eight o'clock comes and that meeting that the players had. And like we knew for a couple hours there was going to be a meeting, but we're all kind of like lingering around there waiting to see what would happen. And then the moment happens where literally over a matter of 10 minutes, 200 NBA players and dozens of coaches and team personnel just start walking by us. Now, as individuals or small groups, those people had walked by us previously, but never all at once. And it was 200 plus people all for the same cause, all to, you know, discuss 
what they were going to do moving forward. And I just thought it was the most remarkable scene of a lot of young players, a lot of old players just coming together and looking to make change. And I just thought to myself, wow, we'll never see 200 NBA players in the same room ever again. Right. I, I just thought that was unbelievable. Well, to, to put a, a kind of a capper on that, <clears throat> I mentioned Michelle Roberts a minute ago. When I talked to Michelle last week, the, the executive director of the union, she talked about how in normal times, you have one representative per team, obviously, at union meetings. So at minimum, you need to get to 30. Then you might have extra players who want to take part. But essentially, the, the quote-unquote league record for attendance was in the 80 to 90 excuse me, guys, was in the 80 to 90 range. And you're going from 80 to 90 to, to more than 2X that. It was historic. It's never going to happen again. Um, I can't imagine how powerful that was. You know, I wasn't there, as you know, at that time. I'm sitting in quarantine in this room that we're talking from now, um, you know, pulling my hair out because as a reporter, I wanted to be out there and I couldn't. Um, I want to also take a minute, Jared, to talk about the fact that you know, Michael and Dan shared a few stories uh, on their sides, but they were second halfers like myself. And you were here from day one. And, and you know, we've talked about the sacrifice a little bit. Mental health was a real topic out here. Um, you had probably the most unique rhythm of anybody in the media because you had weeks on end when you would not work based on the rotations of, you know, your particular outfit. Um, to remind me when you got here and then in, in totality, uh, I know we had a good time out here, but in totality, how tough was it? You know, this is a long, long time. Yeah, so I arrived. My quarantine started July 22nd. So today, I believe, if I'm doing my math right, marks 82 days. Um, and you're right. W the crazy part for me was um, that after I got out of my quarantine, my first day after quarantine, you know, we do seven days of quarantine where you're basically locked in your room. You leave for 10 minutes a night just to go get tested, do the COVID test, and that was it. Um, and these are not like luxurious hotel rooms. They're just, you know, kind of small, normal hotel rooms. Um, and uh, after I got out of quarantine, I hit the ground running. My first game was Lakers-Clippers opening night. LeBron hits the game winner. And I think I did, I think I did 20 games on TNT over the span of about 30, 35 days. Uh, you know, give or take. And that was insane because I was used to, on TNT during the season, I'd do one game a week on Tuesday nights. And here I was doing like two games a day. I was doing, you know, five games in seven days. It was, it was insane. It was, I mean, it was awesome. Uh, and then what happened was um, I wasn't doing the conference finals, um, but I needed to stay for NBA TV to do the NBA finals. So during the conference finals, which ended up getting extended because they didn't start the Western Conference finals uh, until Friday, remember, because the, the Lakers-Denver series got extended, um, I ended up having more than 14 days of nothing. And it was, it was weird. Like, you know, and, and, you know, I don't have many hobbies, which is probably a fault of mine. You know, I, I live and eat and breathe and sleep my, my job. So, like, when I'm not working, I generally don't know what to do with myself, let alone when you're in a place where you can't leave. Um, you know, you, 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 there's not much else to do. Uh, so I kind of just nagged at you guys for a, a while and, you know, just, just kind of hung around and got a lot, I got, listen, I got a lot of sleep in the bubble. That was, that was yeah. for sure. Yeah. But a lot of that came on the back end, you know, we're going to bed at, let's be honest, we're going to bed at three and four and five in the morning because why not? We got nothing else to do. 
So right. uh, it was, listen, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, I would do it all over again, but it was, it was like, I, I, I feel like this is one giant social experiment. Like I feel like in years to come, they're going to do studies on the, the mental toll this took on all of us. Think about LeBron. He's the one who comes to mind for me last night. He talked about, and this is the part where this whole thing is so relatable for everybody, is LeBron, just like us, talked about his wife last night, talked about his support system, talked about the idea, that to steal his phrase that he always drops, that his ability to keep the main thing the main thing in the bubble you know, led to the focus, led to him being locked in, led to his incredible play. Jimmy Butler, on the Heat side, uh, had a similar vibe and a similar approach and, and it worked I, i'm with you on the idea that those two teams you know stayed focused and didn't get kind of bogged down by everything that comes with the bubble uh, on the basketball side and let's go down that road everybody's got to go and you guys just to give you a disclaimer if you need to jump at any point let me know because i know you got a lot going on um the the basketball last night the lakers finished the job in pretty incredible you know dominant fashion uh, everybody wondered after game five is there any chance in hell this is going to become a a disaster for LeBron and the Lakers and, and the kind of collapse that, you know, never would have been forgotten. Um, let's just talk LeBron for a minute because, you know, he's sitting up there last night. He's got his cigar in his mouth. This is after, I, I just loved his FaceTime moment when he calls his family and his kids and, and he calls his mom. And it reminded me that this guy has been living his life in front of the cameras for decades at this point. And I saw someone on social media said, oh, why is he calling his mom in front of everybody? Because well, everything he does is in front of everybody. It's just how it's been his entire life. And and he he's always, well, I shouldn't say always, but he's almost always met the moment. And this guy, the hype was so incredibly high when he was younger. And so many opportunities for him to fall short of the hype and the expectations. And on and off the court, he has done things on just a remarkable level. Uh, Michael, again, you've been there for a lot of it. You've seen some of his biggest moments. Uh, you know, how did you see LeBron in this whole thing? I have, and it, you know, it's interesting because, and, and I'm not claiming that I have some sort of personal relationship with LeBron James, but I have been around him a lot. And and when you're around someone that much, you do start to sense kind of some things about them. And, you know, when he was younger, he, he was, the game I remember in 2007, he scored like the last 25 points of the game for his team with Cleveland to beat the Pistons. I think it was in a game five, yep. completely overmatched Cleveland team. That Pistons team, obviously known for their defense. And it was unbelievable. I mean, I thought he was just going to float out of the arena at the end of it. And to me, that game has always been like Michael Jordan's 63 points against the Celtics, you know, where you're seeing something you'd never quite seen before. And what we're seeing now with LeBron is, is a much more complete player and person, I think, you know, the way he deals with them. He's just, um, you know, I was talking to Rich Paul about it. And he just says, you know, at that age, you get some clarity, you know. I don't think he's waking up in the morning worrying about what Skip Bayless says. I don't, I don't, I just think it's, you know what? I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to take care of my team. And, and, and you could sense that it, it was different for him. And, and not to start ripping other players, but there were, there were some stars here that looked like they kind of played like their heads were still spinning, you know? Right. right. And LeBron, I thought, I remember turning to, to Rachel Nichols early in the Denver series and I just said, LeBron's not losing this thing, is he? He was as engaged on a nightly basis as I've seen any great player. And like I said, I mean, they they were the best team. And I like I leave Orlando in full confidence in that. That you know, I think um, I'm big talking, 
big topic in LA was like sort of the Clippers and Lakers, and obviously we never got that series. Um, and I think, uh, you, you know, to me, like there was like, sure, if you look at the Clippers roster, like the idea of the Clippers, like you could talk yourself into it, but it was always an idea. Um, the Lakers were like a rock solid. The analogy I've always used was the Clippers were like $100 you own in stock and the Lakers were a $100 bill you could have in your pocket. Well, and we were guilty, I think, in the media to that point of giving the Clippers too much of the benefit of the doubt. We assumed that their load management was going to pay off. And it was almost as if even when the Lakers won the West by five games or five and a half. Well, five, I mean, the blue sand, the blueprint worked last year. Uh, yeah, well, it was different. It was so different. And, and I, I really wish people would not compare because, listen, Kawhi was the best player on that Toronto team. Kyle Lowry was but the everybody else. But everybody else on that roster had been together for a couple of years. And it was almost easy. And I don't want to minimize what they did, but it was almost easy for them to just plug in the guy that goes and takes the fourth quarter shots. Yeah. There was too much that changed. You, you can talk about an identity, but you also have to be about an identity. And that Clipper team talked a lot of talk. But I, I want to go back to LeBron because I, I think this is, this is something important not to overlook. I, I want to slightly kind of disagree or take a different angle than what Rosenberg said about LeBron not hearing the noise. I, I, sure. I want to keep this real with everybody. I, I think the only reason why we were in the bubble, or at least the biggest reason we were in the bubble, was because LeBron had a chance to win a championship. And that's not just me saying the NBA was looking to hand LeBron a championship. That's also from an economic standpoint. Like, I get we're all going to crush the ratings. We're all going to look at, you know, clicks and, and all that other stuff. But the bottom line is that what, whatever was positive came because of LeBron. Um, and, and if LeBron had not won, he also knew that this was an opportunity that, that would have been missed for him because it was not, not necessarily put on a silver platter for him, but was made available because of him. And had he not won it, the amount of criticism or the people who were looking to, you know, throw gasoline on the fire for why he's not the greatest. And not that I want to get into that debate right now, but, but the bottom line is anybody who is looking for any extra motivation or any extra content would have found it by saying, you know, you failed in something that was essentially uh, put out there for you to win. Jared, to your point uh, with LeBron, he, he does this amazing job of, of also like convincing us that he's, He's been short and he's grown and he is this sound, uh, you know, adult who doesn't hear the noise and who has a, everything in, in its proper place. And then he's also, you know, the same 22 year old who gets annoyed by every negative headline that he sees. And, and, and even in a Michael Jordan type of fashion, who essentially concocts, you know, fake narratives to motivate himself, you know, the hashtag washed king, which nobody said he was washed, but it, but it worked for him. And and you go back to the MVP conversation from this year. Like, I'm still not convinced he was pissed that he didn't get MVP. He's pissed by the margin in which he lost. Right. Think about that for a second. Right. Like, right. That, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Right, right. <laughs> and, and if I can just say, and, and I could be completely wrong on this. This is just my sense, and, and you guys can disagree. But I don't even know if how much, how pissed he is about all that stuff as much as he's missed. Because I think he's so, obviously, he's a basketball savant. And I think he can't totally come out and say this, but I think he's looking around going, I am so much better than everybody else oh, of this yeah. generation. How can anyone not see that? I just, I think he just kind of shakes his head more than gets angry at this point. And you know what? He's right. Well, I mean, he is. Talk, well, Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the NBA. No, he's not. I mean, LeBron was a, a cut above everybody. 
And, and if you're him, it's coming down to semantics. The awards obviously are tied to regular season results, tied to the choices you make on how to compete, how to perform, you know, during the time when those votes are being tallied. Um, and so, yeah, but the grand question of best player in the game, he, he made it known in this bubble where he stands. And, and he's had that thing for a while, all those finals against the Warriors. Uh, and because I'm West Coast based, I would be far more embedded with those Warriors teams than I was with the Cavs. I would always be fascinated by the discussion of Steph Curry and LeBron, where Steph comes out in the season where he's hitting 400 plus threes and, and has people talking about him as the best player in the game that you know that in the background LeBron was, to your point, Michael, having that thought on his mind every single day, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know, how did I lose this unofficial title, you know, to a guy who doesn't check nearly as many boxes as I do? I mean, I remember, ironically, and this is kind of full circle, Andre Iguodala, who uh, obviously went from the Warriors to the Heat, was part of these finals. I remember one time walking with Andre down a hallway in Oracle Arena. Uh, I forget which year, but it was after a championship celebration. And and being naive enough to ask him, like, Trey, like, is there any, like, is Steph in the conversation for best player ever? And and I'm not trying to sit here and disparage Steph at all. Uh, and we're going to see next year what he's got left after the Warriors' tough year. But but the, as much as Andre loves Steph, I'll never forget him just looking at me like I, you know, had ketchup on my cheek or something. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, no, no you know, and it's just a different conversation. And for LeBron to... Remind everybody of that at 35, almost 36, 17 years in, and, and with the context of these incredible circumstances, was something else to watch. Yeah, and the other part of that, I think, LeBron, with certain a certain percentage of, the, of basketball fans, has never shaken the idea that he just puts together these super teams because of what happened in Miami. And he knows, and I hope people watching understand, like most of those finals he's played, his team was severely outmanned. I mean, against right. the Spurs right. in 07, Obviously, those Warriors teams. Uh, and, and in this one, I'm sorry, that Lakers team, they got some nice, you know, decent role players who basically did what they had to do. But this was two guys carrying this team and one right. above everyone else. And, and he can't go out and say that and disparage his teammates. But I think that's part of why he's miffed, too, is that I think he doesn't quite get the, the acknowledgement because people have a perception that doesn't really jive with reality. All right, guys, you got places to go and places to be. I got to start packing. I got laundry uh, to go grab. Final thoughts, um, Michael, you know, again, we've kind of recapped everything, but but when you're old and gray or older and grayer, uh, how is this, you know, going to kind of fit within your personal story? What what's where's it going to land? I think I've done like six Olympics. And so I've, I've been away for a long stretch. But the difference is that, you know, when you go to like China or Russia, there's something exotic about it. This was not an exotic situation. I mean, this was about <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Jared tried to make it exotic. I mean, he was just he was like the the the, the bubble homeless guy who would pop up around any corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I mean, obviously, I remember the you know the, the the fun times that we all had together. But I think also for me, the biggest thing is just it. It's another chapter with LeBron where you just saw. A, a, I think even a different side of him than we'd seen before, which was, okay, now you're throwing something completely out of left field at everybody in the league. And guess what? Who handles it better than anybody else? LeBron James does, you know? Right. And right. I, it was just kind of cool to see it up close day after day because you could see he was tired. You know, he wasn't faking it. I mean, he'd look up. Uh, do you guys remember David McMenamin showed up and asked a question, and LeBron just started laughing. He's like, where did you get here? Like, he right. didn't, you know, it was just like, it was so disorienting. and yet. He was just determined to plow through and get this. And 
And I think for those of us here, we probably have a greater appreciation uh, of the mental toughness that it took. And I think that's what I'll take away from it. Well said, Jared. Uh, you could write your own Greenberg diaries from this thing. And, <laughs> I should have kept the diary. That's what I should have done. You should have. And I would read it. I would buy it. I would promote it. Um, final thoughts for you. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to unpack everything. I, I, I honestly think not to over um, dramatize, uh, but, you know, I think it's going to take me a while to kind of put this all in, in, in its proper context. I, you know, for me, the tough part, and, and I think this started obviously in March with the pandemic, is I'd lost all sense of time and, and you know, just a, a sense of what day it is. And, like, for me, I was here for three months, and I'm you know, driving home right now, and I, I honestly, like, I look back at some of the conversations I had with LeBron or, or you know, a conversation I had with Jamal Murray when, yep. you know, he just started crying on me and made me feel like Barbara Walters or something. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, like, it feels like those were, like, 10 years ago, not right. not six or eight weeks ago or 12 weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, I just, you know, I, I can't, you know, the basketball is unbelievable. I just can't believe we got through it and we got through it the way we did. Um, you know, and, and props to the NBA, props to Disney, props to the, the lab technicians. And I don't know, it, I, I'm just amazed that we got through it with no COVID related issues. Um, that, that I think is the biggest takeaway. And, and I hope, you know, I went on this diatribe last night on the air. Um, I don't know if anybody watched it because it was like at one in the morning, but I, I, I just hope the rest of the country paid attention to not if, even if they're not basketball fans, just paid attention to, you know, in the big scheme of things, yes, it cost probably over $200 million and it was a complex um, environment, but ultimately it was really simple. It was, you know, protocols, wearing a mask, which everybody did all the time, washing your hands, social distance, you know, getting tested, getting relatively quick results, and it freaking worked. And I, I just wish that, like, if the government, the, the other private practices that, that could just observe this and recognize, yeah, you got to invest a little bit in your community to make things work, and it costs money, but ultimately, it, it's for the greater good. And I, I'm just proud to be um, proud to be a part of this. Good stuff. Guys, kind of like Dan said, listen, I'm never going to forget this time. Uh, both of you played a big part in it. I appreciate you in general. I appreciate you in the bubble. I appreciate you coming on the pod. All right, guys. Be good. Right, guys, Thanks thank again. You. All right. Appreciate thank it. Much. Bye. Bye. Bye.